All good. Um, I guess I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land uh, on which we meet today, and I'd like to also pay my respects to the elders past and present, but uh, let's pray. Um, Dear Father, uh, thank you for being a loving God who does have us in your hands, who is uh, in control and who loves us for who we are and um, wants the best for us. So as we open your word today, please help us to be seeking to look for application as well as understanding what you were trying to say to the people in first century Israel when it was when it was spoken. All right, um, so yeah, let's look at this passage. Jesus is hanging out with the disciples and there's a crowd of thousands that is gathered around him. And this chapter is Jesus first talking to the disciples, then turning to address the crowd and then turning back and addressing the disciples. Um Jesus, uh, there's a guy that calls out to Jesus and says, hey, look, help me, uh, help me with my problem that I've got. My brother, he's not sharing the inheritance with me. And uh, Jesus, in his typical fashion, when presented with a question, responds with another question and he says, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he goes on to warn that he should be aware of all kinds of greed and that our lives are not measured by how much we, uh, we own. Um, and then he starts into this story of the rich man. He has a, an abundant harvest and his storehouses are all full. And so they're, they're stocked to overflowing and he thinks, I know what I'll do, I'll... Um, I'll tear down the old ones, build new ones, then I can just relax, have a good time, and that'd be fantastic. Um, but then God says to the guy, you're a fool. You, th- you're going to die tonight, and then what good is all of this grain? What are you, you going to do with that? Um, Jesus wraps up his address by saying, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God and then actually after this reading it actually in verse 22 and 23 Jesus goes on to say uh, then turning to the disciples Jesus said that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear for life is more than food and your body more than clothing so I know that we've already done the reading and I've just told you what uh, the reading was again, but just it's helpful, I think, to go through it again. Sometimes you read something once and it's just gone as soon as I know for me personally. But uh, anyway, let's move on. And over the next couple of minutes, what I'd love to talk about is why Jesus said what he said and then how that applies to us today. And I guess the first question we may ask is. Is it wrong to want to have your possessions split between uh, two brothers? Um, So this guy is hanging out in the crowd. He's uh, they're out there in their thousands. He's probably shown up today with this on his mind. He's been dwelling over it, agonising over this um, this issue that's going on in his life, Um, and come to see Jesus, this great teacher of the age, who is so wise and performs miracles. Um, and we don't know what the 
legalities were. We don't know what the intricacies of this particular situation were. But Jesus does know, and that's why presumably we get this admonition to guard against every sort of greed. And it isn't greedy to claim what's owed to you. And a couple of chapters earlier in uh, Luke 10, 7, we get uh, Jesus saying, those who work deserve their pay. And they are entitled to that because that is, that is theirs. Um, and the, we do have this theme of inheritance all throughout the Bible being a normal and um, a natural thing. But as Jesus, the Son of God, he did have insight into this person's situation, was able to speak to his heart and telling him what he needed to hear. Um, the distribution of estates continues to be uh, a cause of strife even thousands of years later. Charles Dickens, in his book uh, Bleak House, has a, an inheritance and a, a massive family fortune being the backdrop to the narrative. And uh, it's this case, Jarndyce versus Jarndyce. So this family feuding and fighting for generations over this massive fortune. And I'll, I'll just read a, a short snippet out for you because I thought it was funny. Um, Innumerable children have been born into the cause. Innumerable young people have married into it. Innumerable old people have died out of it. Scores of persons have deliriously found themselves made parties in Jarndyce and Jarndyce without knowing how or why. Whole families have inherited legendary hatreds with the suit. The little plaintiff or defendant who was promised a new rocking horse when Jarndyce and Jarndyce should be settled has grown up, possessed themselves of a real horse and trotted away into the other world. And uh, so at the conclusion of this novel, and spoilers for those who haven't read it, but it was written in 1853, so if it's not... At the top of your reading list now, it's probably not going to get there, but that's all right. Um, the fortune has, in its entirety, been absorbed by these long-running legal costs. So it's showing the, the futility of, of all of this argument. And, um, yeah, and, I mean, this situation is the same still. I mean, for any of us who have been privy to contentious inheritance battles or... Um, the greed, pettiness and spitefulness that can be awakened is uh, somewhat, sometimes very surprising and there's rarely much room for Christian love, mercy and grace to be shown. And so this idea of greed, it's such an interesting study when compared with a rich relationship with God. As is happening in this passage, greed, which is this intense selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. This sort of greed is diametrically opposed to the love of God. And later on in uh, Luke, in chapter 16, 13, Jesus says, uh, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. However, greed is something that our society, for the most part, is built upon. Individuals working solely in their self-interest to accumulate more wealth. This is found in the stock market, the property market, and any sort of area where commerce is happening. Uh, people seeking to increase their personal wealth as their only goal. 
And what Jesus is pointing out that an unhealthy appetite for wealth cannot be sated in the same way that the glutton is never full or the alcoholic's thirst is never slaked. A unhealthy, um, there is a healthy amount of wealth to pursue and it's not wrong to enjoy these parts of God's creation. Wealth and possessions are not inherently evil. They are things that God has given to us to be enjoyed. And Jesus' teachings often use physical um, issues to direct us to the underlying issues of the heart. Jesus diagnoses these outward manifestations of greed and selfishness as symptoms of people acting without God as their centre. So Jesus presents this story to the crowd. In the story that Jesus tells, we have the rich man who just wants to store up, get as much stuff as he can and then relax and have a good time. And he does this to the exclusion of God. Um, but when he's in the ground, what is it worth to him? What, what is all of that grain going to do for him? The answer is nothing, of course. Um, and what Jesus is trying to point us towards is what are you treasuring where is your heart at and what reality are you working within? Are you living as if there's no God and the only goal in life is to have a good time and accumulate wealth? But what Jesus was actually saying, to break it right down, is don't be a greedy guts and seek out a relationship with God. And sometimes I feel like these sorts of stories of farmers and sowers and um, are a little bit removed and a little bit difficult to relate to. Uh, in Mark 2.22, Jesus says, No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins and the wine and skins would both be lost. No, new wine calls for new wineskins. And my first question is, what the heck is a wineskin? I, uh, uh, this is so far removed from my life experience. I'm not a first century barman in a hotel in Jerusalem uh, dealing with all this distribution of wine. And um, these sort of metaphors lose their oomph factor. That's a theological term. Um, and they're so removed from our personal and day-to-day life. Uh, in the context that Jesus was speaking in first century Israel, most everyone would have been uh, a cog in this agricultural machine and either a farmer themselves or a part of the produce processing process. Uh, Jesus was able to tailor his parables and stories to his audience, uh, making sure that the message would hit home and strike a chord. And we should absolutely still try and understand the uh, original context in which Jesus was speaking. However, I think it's also helpful sometimes to try and modernise these stories to uh, see if they hit us a little bit differently. So, for example, if I were to say there was a rich man from North Sydney, that sounds like a start to a limerick, but uh, it's not. Uh, I I can't write sermons in rhyme, but maybe something for next time to look forward to. Um. And he he owned multiple properties and he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have enough money to buy new properties. 
Then he said, I know, I'll renovate the properties and increase the rents, then I'll have enough money and I'll sit back and enjoy my passive income and I'll be able to put in the new wine cellar and the pool and the, uh, the sub-basement and the sub-sub-basement and I'll eat, drink and be merry. And look, this does hit a little bit differently. It allows us to understand the emotive weight of how people in the first century may have felt when hearing the teachings of Jesus. None of us own farms or storehouses where we need to stockpile grain or wheat, but many of us own properties or even multiple properties. Uh, Whereas if we confine these passages only to greedy farmers in the first century Israel, it, um, it abdicates any sort of response, personal responsibility for us to apply these stories and uh, these lessons to ourselves here today. Um, and in the same way that Jesus isn't trying to demonise farmers, I'm not, we're not trying to demonise property owners or people who are working hard to get promotions at their jobs or people who are investing money Um, the wrap-up to what Jesus is saying to the crowd at large is, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. And the rich relationship, this um, the deep relationship with God um, is not compatible with this idea of worldly greed. Uh, but as I said, this idea of this individualistic, self-seeking person is what our society and the free market at large is based upon. And so the question you may well ask, and you haven't asked, and that's fine, I'll ask it for you, is um, what does a good relationship with God actually look like? Um, and I would respond by turning and having a look at Matthew 22:37, um, where Jesus says, oh no, Jesus was asked what the most important commandment was. And Jesus answering said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. This is what Jesus was talking about when he was speaking of a good relationship with God. Someone who loves God with all their heart, mind, soul and strength and someone who loves their neighbour. And I'd like to give you a few examples of what loving God and loving a neighbour might look like in a world where it seems like there is so little opportunity to do so. Um, We have one friend named Dan who, uh, while studying uh, in Bible college, his Bible fell apart and the the seams were ripping and pages were falling out and he was quite attached to this Bible. He'd written a lot of of notes, made a lot of highlights and um, yeah, he'd, he'd been really going hard on that Bible. But so it was quite... uh, precious to him, so he decided, no, look, I'm going to try and fix this Bible, I'm going to try and recover this Bible. In his, uh, in his research, he found out that full-grain um, uh, cowhide was a really strong material for covering uh, books, 
And so he did that. He cut it out, a template in his dorm room, and he recovered his Bible. And uh, pretty soon all of his classmates saw, oh, that looks really cool. I, I, and he was recovering his classmates' Bible. And then now, uh, five years later, he and his wife, Bree, have set up a, a company, Paul's Leather Co., um, expanded to having 14 employees and have covered over 14,000 Bibles. And look, Dan's business isn't special because his product is Bibles. Uh, he could just as well be, um, just could have just as well as been a business creating tassels for antique Turkish tapestries or, or paintball guns for toddlers or whatever. Um, the issue, the, the special thing about Dan's business is how he allocates the profits. Um, from day one, he's wanted to see his business support the Great Commission uh, that Jesus makes at the end of Matthew, where he's uh, sending out uh, people to all the ends of the earth to be baptizing and um, sharing the gospel. And so now supports more than eight missionary families as they seek to bring the hope of God's word to all nations of the world. Um, another example, of course, the story of the Apostle Paul himself. He was well regarded. I'm not sure about rich necessarily, but he had a lot of prestige and power in Jerusalem. And uh, when he was called by Christ to follow him, he, he knew that that decision would be turning his back on all of that, all of the clout that he had in Jerusalem. And uh, he did it, of course. Um, and Paul even talks about contentment, contentment, in fact, which is the opposite of greed. And in Philippians 4.11, he says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I, now, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So I guess I'd, I'd like to pose a question to us. And this is a question that's directed to those of us who have accepted Jesus into our lives and are wanting to be conformed to his image. Those of us who have already made a decision to live in the world but not be of the world. And the question is this. Um... If the work of the Holy Spirit and prayer were by some magic removed from reality tonight, how would that change the way that you lived your life? How would that change the way that you did business? How would that change the way that you, uh, your relationships at work, home or at school, how would it change the way that you treated your employees or, or your employer? And if the answer to this is not a lot, I guess the prayer is that we will be thinking and praying to be conformed to the likeness of God's Son, through to Jesus, and through the power and the, of the Holy Spirit changing us to be content, not be idolizing, storing up wealth, power, influence, as it should always, all of these things... Um, Wealth, power, influence, these things aren't bad in and of themselves, but when they become an idol, um, that's when you run into problems. That's when you start putting your relationship with God as secondary to 
what you are, where your treasure truly is. And then look, if we look just at verses 22 and 23, where Jesus, after saying all of this to the crowd at large, he then turns back to the disciples and he says, um, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. And the fact that this is something that Jesus is saying to the disciples is interesting. It's something that is directed to those who he's closer with and he knows are further down the line, further down the road than the the crowd at large. Um, They've been following him and listening to his teaching for a while now. And these words are something that is so encouraging for us today. Jesus, the Son of God, is himself is saying, don't worry, God has it in hand. And look, I just have one last example, and I don't bring Daniel and my experience up to put us up on some sort of pedestal as if we are some sort of great role model by which people should aspire to. Um, but I did want to share that when we finished our studies, we finished our, our biblical training studies in 2017. Um, we quit our jobs. We were both working in Sydney. We were earning all right money. And we had a little, we had $10,000 saved up. I remember that specific number. Um, we quit our jobs in September, uh, in November of 2017 with no ongoing support for our cross-cultural uh, work uh, lined up except for uh, West Pennon Hills Community Church, which we're, of course, very grateful for. Um, But then on the 1st of May 2018, maybe six months later, we were on the plane to Asia and uh, we have never been at 100% according to the budget supported, uh, but we've never really wanted for money in that time. On occasion, money has been tight, but we've always had enough and there's always been so blessed through people's support and partnership. And... um, it's, it's different to be supported by churches, to be supported by individuals, to not be just getting your paycheck from your, from your boss, which is uh, something that we had both never... Ex- well, Daniel, as a kid growing up, would have experienced, but in an adult capacity, probably not. Um, and it's crazy to think about, but almost every time we've had a, a big expense coming up, uh, what, how are we going to pay for these flights? How are we going to pay for our rent, which we needed to pay in Asia up front for a year? So big chunks of money coming up. Um, we've been worried and we've been thinking, oh no, how are we going to afford this? How is this going to work? And um, we've just been so blessed every single time. And it's like God is saying to us in our frailty and unbelief, what are you worrying about? What, uh, we've been through this before. This is the fourth, fifth, sixth time that this has happened and you're still not trusting me. And I hope that you are as encouraged by this as we are. And it's still a lesson that we are very much uh, being taught time after time and having to learn time after time, unfortunately, because I feel like our lives would be a lot easier if we could uh, truly not worry about things like this. And I always come back to, and I'm not sure if this is a good interpretation of the Bible, but uh, uh, 
um, Joshua in the Battle of Jericho. Like, if if Jesus, can, if God can knock down the walls of a city, and uh, what am I worrying about a couple of uh, a couple of dollars to to pay for some flights? If if G, if we truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And if we truly believe that this book that we read every week and during the week um, has truth in it and is truth, then what do we have to worry about? So, look, I'd love if just this week, if you took some time, uh, when you're reading the Bible, on your way to work, or whenever you do find time to yourself, uh, to just think about three, three things. The first being... What does a rich relationship with God mean in our individual context? This isn't some removed, abstract concept. This is something that we as Christians are called to live out um, in, our, in our actions and in our relationship with God and with others. Uh, for us, to, And then so the, the second thing, for us to actually think about what guarding against any kind of greed means for us personally, examine our hearts and think about what that means in our situation. And then also, what are we worried about? And this is the one that, this is really encouraging. Are you worried about this, this sermon that you need to write, for example? Are you worried about a big project you're working on, a big promotion that's coming up that you'll need to compete for? Or are you just worrying about how to pay to get your car fixed? Um, so these three things, what a rich relationship with God means in our con context, what greed means for us personally, and then what are we worrying about? And look, I'll give you 60 seconds now to think about that. And um, uh, yeah, it's easy to say, difficult to put into practice, but I hope that through, our, through prayer and reliance on God, we can be encouraged that God has us in his hand and is taking care of us. So look, I'll, I'll give us 60 seconds, we'll and then I'll pray at the end. Dear Father, we know that having a rich relationship with you is more important than than anything. Our relationship with you is what we as believers, um, that's how we identify ourselves. That is who we are. And uh, we just want to think about ways that we can grow in that, be more conformed into the likeness of your son and understand more about you. Um, Please do help us to guard against greed and thinking about what that means and not be conformed into the way that the world wants us to work and to act differently and to try and think differently um, in a godly way to think about how business can be done, how we can study, how we can work and interact with, uh, with the people. And also, we just pray and are so thankful that we can lay our worries on you and that you, you have us in your hand. And that is such a blessing and such an encouragement to us. Amen. Thanks.